0: We, as a church, typically go through the books of the Bible and just study them and ask God to reveal himself uh, to us for our time. And um, we just finished a book of the Bible study in the book of James. And then we, uh, last week, we celebrated Easter. How many of you were here for our Easter celebration? Good to see you again. Glad that you're here with us. Um, and many of you have asked, "Okay, so uh, finished, James? We we celebrated Easter. What's next?" And it, I, I kind of, I'm reminded of a season of my life when I graduated high school. I mean, it, think back with me to that season of your life, and you, you put all those years in. You finally make it to the finish line, and everyone says. What's next? Right? Some of you are feeling that right now. It's like, I don't know. What am I supposed to do next? And I think oftentimes we answer that question too quickly. I don't know what's next. I think we're sometimes supposed to enjoy the moment we're in. And I specifically think that when it comes to the way that we celebrate Christ because oftentimes we put Jesus, rightfully so, within the calendar of the church and the calendar of the holidays and just by the nature of the world we live in, whenever something is related to a, a holiday calendar, it just tends to go by way too fast. If you've been to Kmart or Shopco or for the cool people Target, you'll notice that it's like you get your decorations, you put them up and then the next day, it's like Santa's elves have just turned the whole store into the next holiday. So happy 4th of July, everyone. I'm sure that you're all getting your red, white, and blue ready. But I don't think that that's how the, the recognition and the, I hate to even say celebration, more of the reality of the resurrection is not supposed to fall into your church calendar and you sing, it's, you sing the Lord's praises, he is risen indeed, and then you're like, next week, Welcome back to church, we're gonna get into the study. Now, you can do that, and I think many churches across the valley right now are probably getting into their appropriately planned studies, but the more I think about the resurrection and the the gospel accounts of Jesus risen from the grave, the less I think it's this grand celebration and then a Bible study. It, It seems to me that the most appropriate thing we've done this morning is sung God of Revival, because when you really look at the Easter account, the very first revival was needed on Easter morning. That was a revival in the hearts of people who had their hopes completely crushed and they're dashed. And you know, we, we celebrate Easter and we say, okay, he is risen, he is risen indeed, but oftentimes we're much more dashed in our hopes on Monday than we are singing the praises of God until eternity. And when I, when I read this account, I thought, you know, why don't we celebrate Easter more in accordance to the revival that it brings? Because it's not a celebration when you read it in the Gospels. we, we, We reference this sunrise communion and then there's a concert and you invite all of your neighbors so that we can pack out the house. But when you read it, it was crickets. There was nobody there. Because what, what Good Friday or Christ crucified for the sins of the world, it pleased the Father to pour his wrath on his cross. The disciples see that and it's, it's heartbreak because they had hopes and expectations in Jesus that seemed to be totally defeated. And if you're real in your pursuit of God, in your revelation of Christ and your following of him, you have to admit that just celebrating the resurrection doesn't always reconcile all your hopes that you have in Jesus. There's a lot of things that happened between last week's concert and today's Bible study that are broken hopes in your life. And I think to really understand the resurrection, you have to understand how Jesus brings the hope of the resurrection to people with shattered hopes even after he's risen again. So we're going to look at really two passages of scripture that almost align perfectly with what we did last week. Last week we looked at two passages of scripture to look at what he promised to do, John 16:33. I've overcome. Take heart, in this world you'll have much trouble, but I have overcome. And that's what the grave gives us. An empty tomb shows us that there is nothing that the world, the flesh, or the devil that will throw at you that can't be left dead in the grave because of the power of the resurrection to overcome. And then we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and this prayer for revelation of who Christ was. So what he did and who he was and who he is. And we sang, maybe the highlight of last weekend for me was when we, we prayed for the revelation of Christ and the knowledge of his power beyond the grave, the power of the resurrection. And then if you'll remember, we sang, all hail King Jesus and that's who he is. If the reality of the resurrection is true, then Christ is king. Overall, He's the one that can lay down his life and pick it back up. So today we'll look at two passages of Scripture, and then we will uh, appropriately get into our series about community and all the ways that Easter pulls people that were scattered pre-resurrection, and Jesus pulls them together to bring them to a state of what the Bible calls one accord. So there's something about receiving this message that should unite us as people who go from scattered apart from Christ to being united in his body to his glory and we're gonna study that for the next couple weeks leading up to the announcement that you already saw. Today, we'll look at Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, we'll start there. Luke chapter 24 to remind us of who he is. And then we're gonna look at Colossians chapter one, another message of who he is, but then it'll give us A response, not of what he's done, but what is the response of the resurrection in our life? The response of this gospel good news that God has sent his son so that by him and his spirit in us, we also overcome. Luke chapter 24 is why I believe we appropriately sang the song, O God of Revival, because it gives us Luke's account of the the resurrection story, and it's a revival story. It's a story of all of the disciples that had put so much hope in Christ that he was the coming one. Remember, two weeks ago was Palm Sunday. He comes onto the scene and everyone's praising him, hailing him, Hosanna, save us. He's riding into Jerusalem, finally fulfilling their hopes that the Messiah would come to redeem them and then it doesn't happen. And you have disciples that were following him with the hopes of his Messiahship looking very literal for them now confused. And we're going to pick up in verse 13, but the context is that story where the the women go to the tomb. They want to anoint a dead body to give him honor in his death, and they find a stone that was rolled away. And they're greeted by messengers that say, he is risen, as we said last week, just like he said. He said he was going to rise. You got confused, but he kept his word. He's no longer in the grave. He has risen just as he said. And then the story goes the women run to the disciples and they say, We've got to report this to you. This is, the story's not over. And Peter, the the disciple that we often look to as the the chief example of the disciple, he runs and he marvels. He sees an empty tomb. He sees linens neatly folded. He's trying to figure out what's going on. The story breaks, and now we pick up to two disciples who have a different version of shattered hopes. They're They're not examining an empty tomb. They're actually on their way out of town. They're like, hey, we came, we saw, we've been defeated, we're out of town, and this is where we'll pick up the story because Jesus is going to walk with them in the midst of their broken hopes. And if you're real about the story of the resurrection, Jesus has to meet you in the midst of broken hopes, even hopes that you thought he was about to fulfill for your life. Sunday morning, last week, he has overcome, and yet Monday reminded you there is still work to be done, and you have some wrestling to do with the hope that you thought you had in Jesus and the actual defeated life that sometimes you feel. So here's the story. It says in verse 13, Now behold, two of them, disciples, were traveling that day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So they've got a trek ahead of them. And they talk together of all the things which had happened. All of the things from the, the, the Palm Sunday, the parade of Jesus coming into town, his teaching and his debating with the, the scribes and the Pharisees, his, his public trial, his sham of a trial, his public crucifixion, and eventually his death. And they're talking it over. Like, man, you almost get the, the picture of a, a, so a couple of people who are leaving a sports game, and they're like, man, what happened? That is not the end that we were hoping for. And Jesus is gonna pick up with them. So it was, while they were conversed in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is an underlined verse for me because this is the beginning of the shift of a story that you can't have in an Easter sermon. In fact, it will go on to say, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. There is, there is a, a pattern that happens every holiday Easter where it is not enough just to say Jesus is risen. It's not enough to invite friends to hear the worship songs and watch all of the believers' praise. It says that Jesus is appearing in the resurrection to these people and they still can't see it. There's something that Jesus has to bring in his presence and guidance himself to open up their eyes. And that story is a pattern we see throughout the first Easter where Jesus is coming to people to reveal himself. And for that point, have you noticed that as 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 we try so hard to make it not this way uh, the people that are on the church teams around the valley we always think of easter as this great evangelistic moment, right? We can, we can use this gathering to win souls. And I imagine that we do in some ways win souls in the celebration of Easter because God can use every proclamation of the gospel to win souls. But I always find those evangel, uh, evangelistic outreach moments, they, they typically land right back to where you started. Here's the example. Last week, We had four services. We had a sunrise communion. You guys saw a video recap of it. We were all praising the risen king, sunrise morning. And then we had three services that were pretty much overflowing with people. You brought your friends, people, found us online they said okay it's easter i should probably come and the hope is that they hear the gospel they accept the reality of the resurrected king and then for the rest of the year we have problem with seating and yet without coming to church today i already knew i could use the example we didn't plan a third service didn't need one we don't need a third service today and look around look how many empty seats we have it's easy to 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 be hopeful on easter grateful for the ones that came back but An Easter sermon doesn't save people. And worship, the, the best worship, and I think we have some of the best, but it doesn't matter if you don't have an encounter with the living Christ himself. And this is what he's going to bring to these people that we need to be reminded of. Please do not be a religious Easter Christian. And, and, and a religious Easter Christian, by the way, is not just someone who comes to Easter and then Christmas. We can all, in our own ways, think, I need a sermon and I need a worship song, and then I'm good. And then what will happen is you'll put some hopes and dreams on the name of Jesus, and when they dash, you'll think the game is over. Because you haven't encountered the resurrection power of the living Christ himself. It's not a sermon, it's not church, it's not a concert, it's Christ. And this is the the, the way that we're going to bring all of this home from last week, and I'm glad you came back. If we don't have Christ, it doesn't matter. The end of the story is Christ, and the beginning of the story for your life is Christ. And as you study the Easter story, Jesus will say, if I'm gonna go, he's gonna ascend, but you gotta wait for the power of my spirit because if you don't get the born again reality of Jesus Christ in your life, it doesn't matter how many times you celebrate Easter, you need Christ, not Easter. And so this is what he says to them. "Uh, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another, that you walk and are so sad? the disciples that had followed him, and they'd put their hopes in him, and they'd listened to that he's going to go to Jerusalem and rise on the third day. There's something that happened in their expectations that broke them down by Easter morning. And Again, to be real, the the, the Easter message is not a remedy for sadness. Emotions are thriving in the kingdom of God from all of the areas of the spectrum. But there's often something that happens when we put our hopes in something for Jesus to fulfill that is not his plan that makes us actually kind of disappointed in Jesus have you ever felt disappointed in your version of following Jesus? And if you have, there's something this morning to remind us of sometimes where that disappointment comes from, and then the remedy. So we continue. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to him, what things? Our inquisitive Lord, uh, the Lord who loves to reason with his people and throughout his ministry, he would answer questions with a question. And in your own life, he's happy to hear your needs. Even before you ask, he knows your needs. But our Lord comes and says, reason with me. Tell me why you're sad. Uh, it's a good example for all of us to reason with, with each other. Why are you sad? What things are you going through? Jesus himself listening in disguise, uh, he says, entertain me. And this is what they say. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here it is, verse 21, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Uh, As these men give a report of all of uh, uh, that Jesus needed to hear about his own death and resurrection, they will give previews into them having some of the answer. So it's already the third day. In other words, they're saying, we kind of had a timeline for this working out, and here we are, so we're heading back to Emmaus. But the the, the problem that we have is we were really hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. This is a reminder of how fickle the Palm Sunday celebration is. The Palm Sunday moment is when all of the people finally saw the Christ Messiah coming into Jerusalem, and for the most part, they had pinned their hopes on a very literal redemption of Israel, the glory days of Solomon, the, the, the power and might of King David, and they thought, perfect. Jesus, we know the plan. You're going to go into Jerusalem. You're going to get out the occupying forces of Rome, and then you will sit on the throne, and you will restore the glory of Solomon. And because he does not do that, they're very disappointed. And this reminds me now of, in some ways, the way that we celebrate Easter. Palm Sunday is a reminder that the parade And the fanfare and the crowds of people that come to Jesus often are putting their hopes on Jesus, and in about a week, their hopes are crushed and they move on. And I can't help but think our cultural response to Easter is much more like Palm Sunday than it is like Easter morning. We've got the palms up behind me, which I actually love the design of this. I wish they were fake so we could keep them up forever, but it's good that they're real so that we're authentic. So you're kind of torn in that way. But what did we do last week? We had a parade, literally. We said, okay, bring in the masses. Everybody come on in, bring in your praise and your worship and yell, Hosanna, here is the one that will save. And about half of this room came in with the expectations that they would meet something here that from last week to now didn't happen. Now, of course, that's not a condemnation on anyone who's not here this morning as this is the only place to meet Jesus. There's all sorts of ways to encounter the king. But as a crude example, what often happens in the religious ceremony or in the dangerous version of religion that we tightly walk the rope of every Sunday. Every Sunday, we do a parade. If we do this wrong, and some of us do, some of us, from week to week, get this wrong. If we do this wrong, all we're doing is giving fanfare to Jesus. And we're saying, okay, Jesus, we love you. Here's our hopes. Here's our dreams. Uh, You got about seven days for this to work out. And if it doesn't work out, what happens? We think, I don't know, I tried Jesus, I, I gave him my hopes and I gave him my dreams and it's just not happening. This is probably me preaching to myself as I usually am. So if you ever feel like I'm preaching to you, just know that you and I have similar feelings, okay? Because this week I was like, oh man, by Tuesday, by Tuesday, maybe some of you lasted longer, but by Tuesday I was like, what is on the schedule? This day feels too full. I remember waking up at 6.30 because we had our scheduled uh, pastors and elder prayer, and I was like, I don't even know if I'm up for it. I really don't. And then I kind of drag my feet into the prayer room, and the first prayer request is for reconciliation of two people that I'm like, no, that's a big one. Can we start with something smaller, please? This is too much. And then it dawned on me. I've already lost the resurrection power because my hopes are comfort and ease this week. My hopes were that this week would be a little less than full. My hopes that were the prayer meeting would be uh, two hours later and there would be nothing but praise and good job from your sermon. But that's not how life works. And that's not how Jesus meets us in our hopes. And their hopes for redeemed Israel were, it wasn't that they were wrong, they were just too small. It wasn't that God isn't redeeming Israel and he doesn't have a plan to be the king on the throne, completely evacuating all the occupying forces of the rulers of this world, but we have our hopes too small in Jesus. And our view is too small of Jesus. We put Easter on one Sunday, see you next year. We put Jesus on one day of the week, see you next week. We put Jesus into a devotional. And it's like, okay, got it, good. And now it's on to the next seven things on my list. And I'm wondering if Jesus will meet me. And if he doesn't, no problem, I'll move on. So what is the answer that Jesus is gonna give these people? And this is why we, I hope this will not only revive us, as we just sang, as we look at the revival that Jesus brings to their sadness, but I hope it'll also inform us as to why we do anything that we do what's stopping us from just being Sunday religious people, see you next week? Well, there is an answer that takes us into the longings of our heart that we want so that we'd be satisfied and not disappointed. And what is it? When they did not find his body, they they said, uh, verse 23, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those were with us, went to the tomb and found, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they're giving the report. They've got eyewitness report. They've got a reminder of all of the, the, uh, the reason to believe, an empty tomb. They've got messengers sent by God. And yet what needs to be unlocked for their life, Jesus will give them one more additional thing, and it is the way we redeem this gathering to keep us from religiosity and into a living hope of Christ resurrected and the power in us to live it. What does he say? Verse 25, then he said to them, you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all of the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What we do in our gatherings What you do in your time in this word is your power of the resurrection fulfilled by the word of God. Everything is about Christ. Every detail, he says, if only you would have listened to the prophets, you wouldn't have had to listen to the messengers. If you would have heard the story that was written to you from Moses all the way up to the prophets foretelling what would happen, you would have expected all of this, that the son of man must suffer and enter into his glory because this is not plan B. This is not a random design of God. The salvation was built into creation from the foundation of the world. The the, The lamb was slain for all of us and this was God's plan, and he says, you're slow. It's in the word of God. Everything in God's word points us to Christ, which means whatever we do, and this is where it's sometimes hard to be a pastor in a church that I hope will offer Bible studies and different things for youth and outreach and creative ways to invite people in and disciple people. But all of those things can come and go. The only thing that matters in the end is at the center of the church, at the center of every study, of every topical study of the Bible, of every series that we go through, are we finding new revelations of Christ in the living word of God? That's the question that all of us have to answer. And he says, it's in the word. Everything that we do is to pursue Christ. So I'm grateful that there's things that we get to do that are great. I mean, Saul, I'm, we sent you. I just, I'm just, my heart is just exploding for your example. Give Mexico Christ. Don't give them Calvary Chapel. You can invite them to the church name. And we, 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 we're gonna do youth orientation. Give the kids Christ and teach them to love the word of God because this world can give you all sorts of things that may look like Christ. Jesus says, many people will come in my name. Many people will come and they'll look like sheep, but they're have their wolves in sheep's clothing. And the only thing that will protect us from all of the ways that we will be wayward, churches go wayward, pastors go wayward, studies go wayward, outreach programs go wayward. You can turn into the Salvation Army and the YMCA very quickly. The only thing that matters is Christ. And everything in the word from Genesis to Revelation is Christ. And I, I love that, you know, this is given to us in the Gospels. I want to read one uh, quote from the Gospel of John. It's the very end of the Gospel of John because I can't end just in the Word. Uh, lest we become people that bury our heads so deep into the Word that we miss Christ elsewhere. Everything in the Word is Christ. The reason we study the Word is Christ. The reason the, reason the Word builds us up is because it teaches us about Christ. And then we go beyond the Word. In what way? Look at what it says in John. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that were written, amen. Now, when I say we go beyond the word, if you get a revelation that's not in the word, it's not Christ. We don't go beyond the revelation of the confirmation of the word, but what we're saying is, God has revealed himself to point us to Jesus also in the creation, and so, I just want more Christ, so why not look at another revelation of him in Colossians chapter 1? And this is what it says. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. His resurrection is this new creation life that's coming out of the grave to which he invites all of us to follow him by his spirit. And also that word firstborn is a word of royalty. It's like Christ is king of creation. In the same way that somewhere in England there's a firstborn child to the throne and whenever that time comes the firstborn will be the heir. Our firstborn is Christ, and he will be the heir of the kingdom, the church of God. He's the head, he's royal in creation. He's the head of it all. And this is what it says, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have, circle it, absorb it, preeminence. That means he's the authority of everything. He's the authority of your mind, be renewed in your mind to think like Christ, to have your thought pattern honor Christ, and to think about how Christ wants you to think about people. He's the Lord the over all creation, your heart belongs to Christ. Your dreams, your passions, the things that you're after in life, he's the authority of your heart. And your hands, the things you want to do with your gifts, and your talents, and the things you want to acquire, he's the authority over all things. The dominions of the place that you live in, the city, the Boise, Idaho, the United States, the North America, the every country under the globe belongs to Christ, he's preeminent over all of it because he created it for his glory and everything is working together for those of us who see it, for those of us who have walked with him in our despair to be revealed. The word of God is him and the creation is him and everything is pointing to him and there will be a final trumpet when he reigns. All of it is him. And we see this whole thing as working together to redeem the loss for his kingdom where he can reign supreme. He is over Everything, that's the Easter story. If he, if he rose from the grave, he conquered sin and death, he's the author of life. He has the ability to move outside of the normal laws of nature because he set them into motion and he holds them all together by the will of his power. That's our Christ. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself whether things on earth, things in heaven, he made peace through the blood of his Christ. That's who we're celebrating. It is not a one-week fanfare. This is not something we're like, he's risen, he's risen indeed. Um, Now let's get better at trying to be wise in, 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 in the plans of life. Let's get better at trying to work out our finances. Let's get better at our little marriages. All of those things will be worked out. But the only way they'll be worked out is if Christ is the authority of your finances. He's the authority of your marriage. He's the authority of your outreach events and your crusades and your little Bible studies and your little churches. If you want a revival, you have to circle the word preeminence. He's the authority of it all. It all belongs to him. He conquered the grave and revealed himself as the fullness of the Godhead, amen? Amen. And I just love that he reveals himself through creation. It's very helpful for us to be able to leave this place and be absorbed by the fingerprints of God. It's something that we've been drawn away from as we become you know, a little bit more digital, maybe a lot more digital, a little bit less nature, a lot more urban, and so we've lost the rhythms of seeing the king of creation every sunrise and every sunset and everything, if this is true, Everything is actually a metaphor for his glory. Everything in creation was designed by him to point us to him. So I love, one of my favorite passages of scriptures, Matthew chapter six, and Jesus is just appealing to nature. Says you guys are afraid and anxious and worried about life. Look at the birds. You see how God created them? They don't have to build up barns and they don't have to store anything. They just get taken care of by God. He put them in creation so that you would know that God's design is for you to be taken care of. Then he says, look at the lilies. See how beautiful they are? Solomon in all his glory wasn't even this beautiful. So move on from Solomon and realize that the God of creation makes beautiful artwork to which you also are, your awesome artwork of God. And then the lilies remind us, but as the flower comes up and it blooms glory, it soon fades away. So your life is fading away with a blink of an eye, a vapor. It's there to show us the brevity of life. And then a, a metaphor that we should be meditating on it's a metaphor of scripture that we see in creation is death. It's just a metaphor. The, the, the early Christian writers say when you die, it's actually more like sleep. Because the God of eternity has looked at the book of Genesis, the creation account in Genesis, to his return in Revelation, and it's a snap of his fingers. And your life is a snap of his fingers. And your time in the grave is just like sleep. And he's going to raise you again. You will be in the resurrection life with Christ. And creation, when you sleep, that's how God sees us in death. He's like, well, they'll wake up soon. And when they wake up, they're going to come with me into my kingdom everlasting. So we have to look around creation and say, okay, as I I walk around, I see the mountains. Thank you, God, for your majesty. As I see the sunrise, I say, thank you, God, that when we get to your final kingdom, we're not going to need the sun because we have the glory of you. That's not going to be needed anymore. When I see the storms of life, I'm going to say, yes, God, you are the God of creation. By your word, you can calm the storm sea of glass. And everything in creation, just like everything in God's word, is pointing us more and more and more to Christ, the resurrected King. Amen? And I want to end with this. It says, okay, so who is he? He's king. That's where we left off last week, but I'm I'm worried we left off with a song that looked more like a parade than us saying, okay, is he preeminent in our singing of this song? When we hail King Jesus and, and then run off to the next thing we're going to do, are we actually hailing multiple kings because that's not going to work? He's the authority over everything. And then it's like, what's the response to that? What do we do so that we don't, Celebrate Easter, see it at Christmas, and then we take so many laps around this that our life goes by in a blink of an eye, and we meet the Lord face to face, and He's like, I didn't actually even know you in all you're celebrating. I love the songs, they sound so good. We'll probably be singing them soon, but I don't know you. How do we avoid that? Well, this is what it says. And you, once an enemies in your mind, verse 21, by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. We're being brought into this plan where God has revealed himself through Christ, and now we get to join him. It's called the body of Christ. This is the church. We're reconciled by his blood, made clean. We were once afar off, now we've been bought with a price to take part in his preeminence. He's the head of the church, but we get to be part of the church, preeminent over everything else. Our, the truth endures generation to generation. And so we're reconciled with him. And then it says this, verse 23, if indeed you continue. So this is, this is where I can only take you so far. This is just a sermon so far. This is the, the Lord is pleading with you through me, but he needs you to hear this. Continue in what? Continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. You are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which we preach to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Continue steadfast, not moved away from the gospel. You can't move. This is the message that we've got to, again, balance. We redeem this time by saying it's all you, Jesus. It's all you, Christ But we also say, okay, now teach us how to live and we wanna do that to your glory. But we're still not moved off your preeminence. And now teach us how to be hopeful when life throws its trouble at us, you've overcome. We're not moving from that truth. And as, as as I share all this, one of the reasons I'm, even thinking about this passage of Scripture, because one of the ways that that Easter hangover hit me is that, I told you, I, I crawl into the prayer room, I'm having to revive my own heart just to seek God, and then I look at the calendar, and that night I have a funeral, and I'm like, okay, oh man, I haven't, I've got to work around, I've got a funeral, and it's like, you have a funeral two days after you said he is risen, he is risen indeed. I hope you understand the timing of the funeral that God has put into your lap to celebrate a sister in Christ that is now sleeping until his return. She's resting, presence of God, but bodily rest. And so I walk into this funeral, and I was just blown away. I sit over here, and if you've ever seen me do a funeral, I'm sorry because I just cry the whole time. It's not good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the, the, the funeral tears well up in me, and as I'm sitting over here, someone shares a story of the woman that I'm about to share this verse over, and and uh, it was powerful. I want to share it with you because it, I think it's, it's something that wasn't meant just for that moment. I think we all need to hear it in our rush to the next thing, in our rush to the next, like, how fast can you read the Bible? You know, it's like Bible in a year, devotional in a minute. And the story was this woman in the end of her life was bedridden. She, could, she was on her deathbed. She loved God's word. She was not moving from the word of God, steadfast till the end. Loved the Lord until the end, and so all she wanted was for people to read the word to her. So she had someone come in, it was her son, and Gospel of John, and opens up the Gospel of John, and she's, you know, she's towards the end, so she's not really talking, just listening, and he says he gets to John chapter six. He's moving, he's moving through the word, and she says, stop. And he, said, he says she's clearly frustrated with me. He says stop, and uh, she says you, you aren't absorbing the word of God. You're going way too fast. This is God's word. God wants to speak. God wants to say something. It's not something you just read. And I'm like, oh, shoot, because you know I've got a clock up here, and we've all got places to be, and everything that we do is like, how fast can I give you the word of God? and then you listen to it, and you're like, okay, I did Easter, and then, okay, no, okay, next week, and then fit it in, and it's like, he's preeminent over everything. And this is his word by which he wants to reveal to you his glory. And the woman says, you better absorb it. This is this woman's dying wish for our church is that we would stop running away from Jesus back to Emmaus and that we would just stay and listen to what God wants to say to us in your life. God wants to reveal Himself as the Christ who suffered on your behalf, that your hopes wouldn't be dashed in the wrong thing, but they would be redeemed by Him and Him alone. But you have to listen to the Word of God. That is our response. Our response is to trust that God knows the time and the season, an Easter message all in its own, that Our job is not to bring the revival. Our job is not to necessarily have the perfect eloquence of speech or write the perfect song or have the perfect outreach. We are people that stand on the foundation of the word of God and we stand back and marvel like the first disciples in the first Easter and we say, I can't believe that this is all true. He says, just wait for me. Don't move until you have the power of my spirit and then your job will be to be a witness. Just show people what I can do with people who absorb the word of God, who listen to it and obey and walk with Jesus in the midst of confusing and difficult times all the way to the glory that he has for all of us. It's a twinkling of an eye, he's on his way. But we have to love the word and we have to love Jesus. Now I finish with this because I think of our church in, in, in a way I'm so blessed by you guys. I mean, I, this is my job to share the word and here you are. Who am I to preach that you're not listening to the word of God? I was at a missions conference earlier this year and you know, we are sharing where we are from and I'm not a great networker. So I'm like, hi everyone. I'm Tucker. I'm Boise. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, um, Calvary Chapel, Boise. I want to talk to you about your guys' church because, uh, I've heard the stories, you know, from years ago, there was a transition it got messy and it's hard. And, and, but you, how did you hang in there? And now, you know, we get report that you guys are like a growing church and, and it's got like diversity and young people coming and amen, like all this cool stuff that's happening. Like this woman said, what was the secret? I was like, whew, girl, I wish I knew. <laughs> I mean, no, but you think about it. It's like the only thing we did as a church, and for you guys who have been here longer than last Easter, or maybe this is your first time visiting, here's the secret to surviving whatever the ups and downs of life are. Stay steadfast in the Word of God and just keep following. That was all we did. I was like, man, I wish I had like a book to write you, you know. Um, I, I don't, but I share that because uh, today, by the church calendar, not a perfect six years, but uh, the, the Sunday after Easter was the first Sunday that I got to be the pastor of this church six years ago. So we've been, we've been going for six years. And so, out of curiosity, I was like, man, I wonder what, what, what did I even say that first Sunday? Maybe some of you guys remember, probably not. Um, so I went back and looked, it's online. And first of all, I looked a lot younger, so you guys have really aged me. <laughs> um, and I'm sure my kids had something to do with that, too, so, so no shame in that. But the, you, know, wh- you know what I said? It was, it was the week after Easter, and we looked at Acts chapter 1, and, and, you know, it was, I didn't have, like, this is the plan for the next 15 years. But what we said was, we're going to keep studying God's word. And that is all, that's the consistent thing we've done. Every Sunday, whether it was the storms of all of the things that life can throw at you, whether it was ups or downs, this is our lifeblood. And this is where we can redeem the religiosity of what could be dangerous about today. You will be tempted to be moved. This message, don't move from the word. Stay steadfast and endure. You will be tempted to move in one hour. (laughs) You will be tempted to move my Monday. I speak from experience. I was so tempted to quit, so. Many times, and it's like the Lord chained me to a pulpit. I've used the analogy before. I'm like, I can't move, I can't get off of this. And so for six years, the consistent thing we've done as a church is studied God's word and let the word speak. Whatever it says, we try our best to to give him credit and obey and then worship him. And so you want to know, like in the next six years of your life, and someone says, How did your marriage? How did your broken hopes turn into redeemed hope? How did your steadfastness for your kids? How did you keep following Jesus in the midst of rumors of war, pandemic, hardship, deconstructed church, the name of God dragged through the internet, all of the things that await for you in this troubled world? And you'll say, the only thing I did was I kept trusting God. Amen? (laughs) Hey, we're going to worship. I want to read one verse to you, just a verse from the word to our church. I love this because I'm like, man, I actually feel this about, about just being part of this church. Paul says to the Colossians, and I'll just say to you now, I rejoice in the sufferings for you and fill up my flesh for what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of god amen amen, amen.